0: We certainly want to welcome each and every one that's come to be with us this morning and we have a very good crowd here and we're thankful for the presence of all that are with us and uh, I'm honored to be your speaker today. I want to invite your attention to the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter, and we want to begin reading there in verse number 24. We'll read this short passage and then we'll read one more. To suffice for our introduction this morning. Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning there in verse 24. And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Go now to beginning in verse 37 of the same chapter. He answered and said, this is the explanation of this parable. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Correctly read reads those verses that we wanted to read for our study, as we will examine in great detail in just a few moments the parable of the wheat and the tares. Once again this morning, we have the wonderful privilege of sitting, as it were, at the feet of the master teacher. I have long felt that if a person wants to learn how to preach the gospel one of the very best things that he could ever do is sit at the feet of the greatest teacher that ever lived and that being none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful privilege indeed it is to listen to what Jesus taught so long ago. So many times our Lord used various word pictures or parables to try to reach into the hearts of his people. And make them see the many-sided duties and glories of His great kingdom. As someone once well said, the Lord made it all come down to the reach of humble doors. You see, it's not something that was for the elite at that time. And it's not something that's for the elite in our day and age either. It is not for the select few here and there. But it is something for the common masses. I love to see how Jesus preached on so many occasions because as a wonderful example that He is as He stands before us in preaching God's Word, Jesus just said it like it is. What a wonderful example it is for those of us who try to stand and proclaim the truths that are found in God's Word in a public forum. What greater example can we look to other than Jesus Christ and we can just say it like it is? Well, as we begin this morning, we find that our Lord proceeds as he had on so many occasions by simply saying this, in essence, I have something that I want to talk to you about. Well, on this occasion, he tells them about a Galilean farmer. And this Galilean farmer, he goes out and he secures the land. You know, going back earlier on in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, we find that there are some similarities in the parable of the sower and here in the parable of the wheat and the tares we're going to find how those similarities all work together and that there is no contradiction of terms in any way shape or form but going back to the parable of the sower Jesus already told them how imperative it is to clear the field and prepare the field for the seed so when he gets to this parable he doesn't talk about that anymore What he does is he declares to them that a farmer goes out and he has prepared the land. I think it's important for us to understand that whatever stones or rocks or thorns or trash or weeds or whatever was in that field prior to the time that this Galilean farmer goes out and starts working (laughs) diligently and plowing it and ridding it of all those things, We can assume from the language that Jesus has declared that everything this man did was right. Everything that this man did was just right for the seed to be planted in that soil. He made no mistakes. If there was a stone, he removed it. If there was a weed, he tore it out. If there was a time when the ground was hard and packed down like hard pan, He worked it and he tilled it. He prepared the field regardless of how long it took him to do so for the seed that was going to be planted in that field. You know, in understanding this, this fellow planned right, he purposed right, and he worked right. Everything is now prepared and one day he goes out and he commits the seed to the ground. You know, one man said one time, if there's ever a time when one must feel close to God, or at least in business with God, it is bound to be when he lays the seed inside the furrow and covers it with soil, realizing there's nothing further that he can do. Man has done his part, and man can do nothing further. Now it's up to God and nature that God had set into practice or set into motion. Now it is God's turn. What Jesus tells about this man that goes and plants seed. And then after he's done, he goes home and Jesus says he sleeps. You know what I thought of when I read that? I thought of what Solomon of old said when he says about sleeping the sleep that is sweet. You know what that is? You know what the sleep that is sweet is? It's the sleep of the working man. It is the sleep of the laboring man. You know, there are many that are in this congregation that have gone out and made a living your entire life with your hands. You know what that's like. Have you ever gone out and worked about 12 straight hours? When you're done and the sun has come down and you're exhausted, your back aches, your shoulders hurt, your hands are are weak and they hurt too. Every fiber of your body is aching out of fatigue. So what do you do? Well, it's not a bad thing because you have in the back of your mind the great feeling that a job well done has just occurred. So what do you do? Regardless of how tired you are, you go into, as it were, your bedroom, you pass out in your bed, and you sleep the sleep that is sweet. Anybody that's ever worked with their hands knows just exactly what I'm talking about. What a beautiful picture, Jesus says. A man plants... He sows, he goes home, and he sleeps. Oh, that is beautiful because a job is well done. But you know, Jesus pictures that not all is beautiful because when this man went home and slept, there was someone who did not sleep. Our Lord says that night while men slept, while this man slept, something happened that was not good. That night someone under the cover of darkness goes out into this man's field and takes some noxious seeds, weed seeds or tares, and he went out there and just simply broadcasted those things throughout all that prepared field. You know, I always thought that when Jesus was picturing this, it was talking about really just a spiritual application, which is what he's talking about. But I thought... Who in the world would ever go into somebody's field for no reason and cast not seed down uh, among the, the good seed? But I understand historically that this was there were cases when people would do that. An enemy would do that. Oh, Jesus always called on the memory of his hearers. And he always called on the memory of them so that they would understand that what he said was true. This actually happened in certain cases, in certain places. Jesus says that while this man slept, somebody didn't sleep. Somebody went into his field. Now, that's important to know. He didn't go into his own field. He went into his field. This man that is at home sleeping after he's done everything that was necessary for him to do for his wheat crop. He went in there and planted seeds that were weeds. Well, you know, as the parable of the sower, the Lord does not leave the interpretation to us. Some of the things that Jesus taught were so common and easy to understand It didn't require any further explanation on his part. But some parables did require a further explanation. The parable of the sower was one, and also the parable of the wheat and the tares. I am so thankful that Jesus used those verses of Scripture that we can read to know just exactly what he meant so that I don't mess it up and put my own slant on it or misinterpret or misapply the lesson he wanted us to understand. So, as we said before, the Lord just said it like it is. Here is his explanation. First of all, he says that there is a sower. That sower, as defined in this passage of Scripture, Jesus said, is the Son of Man or none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the seed are the children of the righteous one. Well, now, wait a minute. How many times have we referred to the seed in the parable of the sower as the word of God? Well, How can that be? Is there a contradiction of terms here? What did Jesus mean in the parable of the sower when he said the seed is the word of God? And then now he says that the seed are the children of the righteous one. Those that have had the seed planted become the seed of or the children of the righteous one. What we have to understand is simply there's one is an extension of the other in other words we have the outgrowth of the seed in the lives of men also people ought not to think of you and i as christians separate and apart from the word of god because the bible says that the word is living and the word is growing in us in james chapter 1 and verse 18 james says of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. In First Peter chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23, it says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." There's no contradiction of terms here. It's quite simple. The children of the righteous one is a product of the good seed. Secondly, though, or thirdly, Jesus says there is the field. You know, there's been much contemplation and religious debate over what the field is. But, you know, we need to understand that we don't want to let a commentator explain away the plain, clear teaching that Jesus gave what does jesus say the field is he said the field is the world we need to get that because if we misunderstand that then we will misunderstand or misapply the context of his teaching in the entire parable he says remembering he says it like it is the field is the world many religious divisions have ensued over its meaning of these five words some say the field is the church and therefore Jesus was saying this the field is the church so there's going to be good seeds and there's going to be bad seeds Let them dwell together for a time in this life. Do absolutely nothing about it. Accept them all, even the bad seeds. And do nothing whatsoever. And when time comes or the day of the harvest at the end of time, then the Lord by his reapers being the angels will take care of this business at a later date. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the field is the world. It's the world. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28... In verses 18 and 19, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Then in Mark 16, 15 and 16, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. One more verse of scripture that we find after Jesus was crucified, after he rose from the dead and was in the process of spending 40 days with his disciples, said in Luke 24 and verses 46 and 47, he said, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. What is he saying? He is saying the field is is the world. One more thing though. What about in the parable of the sower when we find that the field is the heart of man? If he said the field is the heart of man in the parable of the sower, now he's talking about the field being the world. Once again, no contradiction. This is what he's saying. You go preach the gospel. You take this gospel and you take it to the lost. I want you to preach it to every creature. I want you to go out into the world and do so. He says this in the parable of the sower. The seed is the word of God. We find that the seed is going to be planted in the hearts of men. He says that's what you're going to sow. That's what you're going to do. Where's the hearts? They're in the world. An extension of the other. And certainly no contradiction. You know there's something else that I'm so glad that Jesus describes. And I think today if you leave here, I want you to understand when you leave here that there's something that goes on in the world. I want you to understand that you that are living the Christian life and when you try diligently to serve God in your life, when you try to do the work of the church and you try to do what is right. I'm going to tell you something, there is such a being out there that Jesus says is the enemy. There is. There's an enemy. And I think what you and I need to understand is we need to understand who he is. And we need to know when some of these things happen around us as we try to work and strive for the cause of Christ. We need to understand it is the enemy. It's the devil. Jesus said there is such a being like that. Well, Jesus pictures it like this. He says, this man, this farmer's servants, they go out into the field. Now notice, nobody knows anything about these bad seeds until the crops come out of the ground. When the crops come out of the ground, now all of a sudden, here are the servants of this farmer. And the servants come to their master, their boss, and they say this. They say, didn't you sow good seeds? You know, when Jesus said good seed, oh, he sent He said a mouthful. You know why? Because if he said there's good seed, there must also be bad seed. More on that in just a moment. Here come these servants, and they come in and they say, didn't you sow good seed in your field? If you sowed good seed, why is it that there's tares in it? Wherefore art thou tares? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, an enemy hath done this. An enemy did it. Notice, Jesus is saying that there is good seed, and there is also bad seed, and the two don't go together. And the Lord immediately says, an enemy has done this. I like the way that he puts it, because the devil is the enemy. You know what Jesus does not say, though? Does this sound familiar, though, with some folks in the world? They don't want to call it like it is. Sometimes brethren don't even want to call it like it is. They don't want to say it just like it is. It's the enemy. It's the devil. It's the arch deceiver. Listen, this is what Jesus did not say. He didn't say this is a product of somebody's unfortunate environmental circumstances. He doesn't say these poor fellows are suffering from some kind of temporary stumbling In the upward progress of men. Oh no. He said the enemy did it. An enemy came into a field that was not his. And an enemy did this. He's the arch deceiver. And we need to understand who he is. Sometimes we need to just call things the way that they are. You know the Bible insists that there is one that is set for your destruction. The greatest possession that you have and you will ever have All the days of your life while you are living and afterwards is your soul. There is no greater possession. I don't care if you're a zillionaire. It makes no difference. What you will have, what you will acquire in your life, all of the good fortune that will come your way, there is nothing in your life that is of more value than your soul. And I'm going to tell you something. You know why the devil wants it? The Bible talks about Gehenna hell. That's the death of the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels that was not prepared for man originally that was prepared for the devil and his angels that's where the devil is going to go for all eternity into the lake of fire and he wants to get our soul away from us and get it in to that lake of fire. You know, like they say, not trying to oversimplify, but misery loves company. The devil is warring against your soul every day that you live. Notice, though, as we mentioned just a moment ago, the devil does not go into the field that is his own. He doesn't go to a vacant lot or a barren field. Oh, no. You know why? Because there's nothing there dangerous to him. You know why the devil doesn't bother with people that are lost, that are not trying to do right? Because he already has them. That's why. But the devil works in fields that are not his own. Whenever you decide, I'm going to be better than I've ever been, you're going to be opposed by the devil. Whenever you say, I'm going to grow, I'm going to be a better Christian than I've ever been in the past, I'm going to set a better example, I'm going to tell you something else. The devil is going to oppose that. He works in fields that are not his. The devil came to work when God's people went to work. The devil is a mastermind that is schooled in the art of human nature. And his game is opposition by imitation. Opposition by imitation. Just look in the religious world. Opposition by imitation. But there's something else too. You know why we stand against things that are wrong that sometimes people say, well, it's just a little thing. It's just a little diversion. You see, these seeds appeared to be okay at the very beginning. But when they came up, they were weed seeds, they were weed. And these were things that were wrong for this farmer to have in his field. Sometimes things look like they're just okay at the beginning, but then we find out later on, much later on, what they really are. The devil sows in something that appears to be good on the surface. But it's not until these things begin to move toward fruition that they even become aware that there's a problem. And the Lord is simply saying, when we get busy, so does the devil. Let me just say it this way, too. I think this is very important. Let me encourage this congregation in this way. I'm going to tell you something. The congregation here is trying to work together. Is trying to grow together in unity. I'm going to tell you something. The devil doesn't like that. And the devil is going to try to be divisive in the hearts of man. Secondly, when souls are saved and they come to the glorious gospel of peace, when they obey that gospel and they're baptized for the remission of sins, those people become seeds in the field that Jesus is talking about. The devil wants them back. The devil is going to try to create things that would be temptations for them to lay down their sword, as it were, and stop laboring for the cause of Christ. You know, I've said this so many times, and you all know this, but sometimes the most difficult time in a Christian's life is right after they obey the gospel. You know why? Because he just lost one and he wants them back. Let me just say this don't get discouraged. When the work progresses in a favorable fashion or in a positive way, and then we see discouragement. Don't be discouraged. Know what it is. It's the devil. And Jesus said he's going to continue to labor in fields that are not his own. One man said it like this. This is great. He said, as brighter gets the sunshine, the deeper grow the shadows. In other words, Satan begins to operate when you and I begin to work. Well, next, Jesus talks about rooting out the tares. You know, these servants, after they presented the problem to the master, they have a solution. Now, this is nothing abnormal about this. I'd probably say the same thing. There are weeds in the field. It's growing up next to the wheat. So they have an idea. I've got it. I've got it, boss. I'll go and I'll just rip them out. I'll take care of that, not understanding what Jesus is going to explain to them, not understanding his purpose, or not understanding what will happen by way of the outcome of doing their solution. They're proposing this, though. Spiritually speaking, they're proposing violence. If there is ever going to be a victory religiously in this life, it'll be a moral one. It certainly won't be a physical one. You know, I know that people have quote-unquote religious wars in the land. In the world, I understand that. There have been religious wars and so on where people have lost their lives. That is not the battle that the Christian is fighting. We are fighting a spiritual battle. We are not fighting a physical one. They said, though, what we can do is we'll just go in the field, no problem, and we'll grab, the, we'll grab those weeds and we'll just rip them out. But the Lord says, no. Do you remember in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke when James and John wanted to command fire to come down from heaven to consume those Samaritans? Would you remember that Jesus rebuked them and said, ye know not manner of spirit ye are of? He said, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Christians don't participate in activity that's physically fighting another. There is no way that we can do two things at the same time like that. You can't go kill somebody and save them. Jesus said, you go into all the world. You make disciples of every nation. You go out and teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you to do. That is what your charge is. That is what your mission is. That is what I'm requiring you to do. How can you do that and then physically fight against them? You can't do evil to someone and save them at the same time. That's what Jesus was picturing. But I'm going to tell you something, though. We can stand and use this book right here. And we can preach just as hard as we possibly can against those things that are not right. We can teach people and teach God's people against the things that are wrong in the world. We can surely do that. But notice, there's going to come a time when the Lord is going to take care of this. Jesus said, though, let them grow together until the harvest. The Lord is simply saying, we will not use force. We're going to do it my way. But you know, there's another reason why we don't root out the tares in this life. And I know that from a farming standpoint, biologically speaking, this is completely impossible. But spiritually speaking, it is very possible. And that is, another reason why we don't root up the tares is because the tares can become wheat. The tares can change. Now, I know that when Jesus pictured this Galilean farmer's land... I know he was not saying that in actuality, these tares can turn themselves into wheat simply because of their association. And I think that's what Jesus is picturing here. Today in the world, a tare does not become wheat just because it is alongside a Christian. A one that is a child of the devil does not become a child of light simply because he is existing next to somebody that is righteous. And I think that's what the point is here. The way that they change is by way of a new birth or a rebirth. And we know that happens at baptism. So a tear can become wheat. Let me illustrate it this way rather briefly. What if you and I were living in New Testament times? Remember in Acts when the church was established? And we're going on and we're trying to do just exactly what the Lord has told us to do. And we're preaching the gospel to every creature like the Lord said. You know, there was somebody that was an opposer of the gospel. His entire existence was to oppose the gospel at that time. We know who he is. What if we would have said, let's get Saul. Let's get him out of here. Let's root up the tares. He's in opposition of the gospel. Let's go take care of it. Look what happened. The church would not have the great apostle Paul, the one who, from divine inspiration, wrote over two thirds of the New Testament. We wouldn't have perhaps one of the greatest preachers that ever lived being Paul himself. We wouldn't have that today if we would have it to be our way. Jesus said, Let them grow together until the harvest, but during that time, the tares can become wheat. But also, Jesus says to stay out of my field in that way because he said lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat. So don't tear the tares out because in doing so you can destroy the wheat. But notice when he says let both grow together until the harvest. I think it's important that we understand the Lord is saying that evil and good will exist together. But listen. He is not saying, as I mentioned earlier on in our study, he is not saying that evil and good are to uh, uh, exist together in the Lord's church. He says that evil and good are going to exist together in the world. That's what he says there. You know, I've heard people say, well, that's why we can't ever participate in any kind of church discipline. See, when we misunderstand what the field is, we can get the whole thing backwards. That's not what he said, though. And make no mistake, I know sometimes it seems as though that you and I are living in a world where we seem like we're all alone. Sometimes we may feel as though that we are living in a time that is just filled with evil and filled with wicked things and people that have turned their back on the good name of Jesus Christ. I know that. But Jesus said so long ago, evil and good will exist together. In other words, things are going to get better and better. At the same time, they'll get worse and worse. We're going to have to get stronger, you and I. We're going to have to get better. We are going to have to expect more than we have ever expected of ourselves as the Lord's people. We've got to bring the very best that we have to give. That's what we have to do. That's the answer. The answer is, don't get down over the evil around us. Let's just get better. Let's get stronger. Let's fight that old devil. Because on that final day, the Lord will say, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. You know, sometimes people say, don't, don't talk about hell. You know that in, I, I guess that a large percentage of the seminaries in the religious world today are, are teaching now that there is no hell. Something like 70 or 80 percent are teaching from their curriculum that there is no hell hell is real because that's what Jesus said the reapers bind them cast them into the furnace they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth think about that hell is a real place evil will not prevail One old-time preacher described this scene like this many years ago. Listen. Descending down into caves of hopeless depth, I saw most miserable beings walk, burning continually yet unconsumed, forever wasting yet enduring still. Some wandered lone in the desert flame and some encounter fiercely met with curses loud and blasphemies that made the cheek of darkness pale. And to their everlasting anguish still, the thunders from above respondingly spoke these words which through the caverns of perdition forlornly echoing fell on every ear. You knew your duty, but you did it not." But finally, you know as they say, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Some of the most beautiful words ever uttered are uttered by Jesus next. He said, then shall the righteous shine forth. I love that. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Christians that have been oppressed, I'm talking about people that have been put down and criticized. I'm talking about people that have suffered and been martyred for their faith. I'm talking about every Christian that has ever tried to do that which is right. And had the world oppose them in every way. You know what's so beautiful about that? We win. When it's all said and done, we win. We are going to triumph over all of that evil. Then shall the righteous shine forth. The light so uh, long struggling finally eventually will come to fullness. This is God's people. One of the greatest blessings of all as living the Christian life is to know that we have a choice. We don't have to go to that place of eternal torment. We can go to heaven. And we can shine forth when the Lord makes up his jewels as Malachi said, shall shine forth. We can go to a place and sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by and dwell with Jesus evermore. Don't be discouraged in your Christian life. Don't quit your service and give up because of the evil in the world. You rise up against it. You make it to the end. And we are promised by Jesus the righteous shall shine forth. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail. Please email us at info@churchofchristbakersfield.com. At our service times are Sundays at 10:30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7:30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.